Okay, pasa mufasa ni hao, konnichiwa, salam aleikum, and shalom. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Micropreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Dennis Walker. I'm tapping in live from Kota Kinabalu, Borneo, right now. That's correct, Borneo, Malaysian Borneo. Just went island hopping today out to an island called Sipa, really lovely ecological reserve just off the coast of the island of Sabah which is one of the two main islands in Borneo. Having a blast out here, headed off to a more remote island tomorrow, so just milking my last few hours in civilization with reliable Wi-Fi and getting this podcast out. Today's podcast guest is Andrew D'Angelo, cannabis industry entrepreneur, consultant, writer, educator, you name it, he's done it if it's in the cannabis industry. And we're going to be talking about the vanguard of the industry. What's going on right now? Andrew has the extraordinarily unique opportunity to interface with key policymakers, regulators, politicians, people in the halls of power to talk about legalizing cannabis, to talk about ending prohibition and getting a lot of people out of jail who should have never been in jail in the first place, which he does actively via the Last Prisoner Project. And I recently had a chance actually to go to a Last Prisoner Project party in Austin, Texas, as part of the South by Southwest Conference, and meet a lot of the folks involved with that incredible project. So go ahead and check out Last Prisoner Project if you haven't already. Hugely worthy cause. Thank you, everybody. Stay safe out there. Eat your mushrooms. Have a great day. Let's get this show on the road. Okay, Pasa Mufasa. What's up, everybody? Please welcome back Andrew D'Angelo. You already know who he is, but in case you've been living under a rock, my man is a cannabis entrepreneur, businessman, writer, activist, you name it, he's done it if it's in the cannabis space. It's nice to see you again, Andrew. How are things today? Great, Dennis. Uh, always uh, an adventure in the cannabis uh, movement and industry, and uh, right now is no exception. Yeah, you've been busy. I saw that a few months ago. You hosted uh, Andrew D'Angelo Wake and Bake Brunch out at, as part of NJ BizCon. I had a lot of friends make it. I wasn't able to make it, but I hope to do so next year. You've been traveling a lot, and that's one of the things I wanted to dive into today. I've seen that you've been out in Sweden recently, which I suppose they're well on their way to legalizing cannabis. You were down in Mexico, which is a place that's near and dear to my heart, and I saw that you actually had a chance to meet with the former president of Mexico, I believe Vicente Fox. So why don't we start there? What on earth brought you down to Mexico to connect with the former head of state, Vicente Fox? Well, I was invited by um, Cana Mexico, which is a conference that he hosts at, at, at Centro Fox, which is his compound, family compound, and now a nonprofit organization we would call in the United States, I guess you call it an NGO in Mexico. Um, and he's a, a friend. We've known each other for years. He came out to California several years ago. He's been very curious about legalization. Um, you know, when he was president, uh, he was on the wrong side of history, as, as we say. Um, but since his presidency, uh, he's been pretty brave and visible on the issue. And so I don't really... I partner with anyone who wants to make change, positive change with this plant. And so um, when I was invited to come down and speak at Canada, Mexico, I, I accepted the invitation. And I was disappointed to learn when I was there that legalization looks like it's going to be delayed a little bit longer in Mexico. Um, and 
it looks like industrial hemp may have some opportunities right now, but in terms of full legalization, which was, it seemed like we we're on the verge of that in Mexico. It seems like we were maybe a couple more years away from that happening. That was a little bit disappointed, but what was, what was cool and uplifting was just all the young entrepreneurs in Mexico right now. I'm sure you know and have met and talked to many of them. It's a really vibrant scene. You know, they've come to the United States. They've learned from growers and manufacturers and all kinds of folks here, all kinds of talented folks here. And they've taken that knowledge back to Mexico and, and made their industry stronger and better and products, you know, more interesting and um, diverse. And so it's a really vibrant time, I think, for Mexico and America to be more collaborative with cannabis. I, I hope so. I want to do more work in Mexico as an American. I, I hope to represent Mexico in this country, um, you, you know, and, and the products that will be made there. You know, I'm, I'm already working on a hemp nutrition project in, in not far from where you are right now in, in the Yucatan Peninsula. And, you know, that's an indigenous project and, and, um, you know, as you, uh, it's very complicated, but, um, it's also really cool to be working on these things. And, and, um, no matter how slow going they might be right now with the laws and the regulations and, um, capital and financing all these things is really hard at the moment. It's hard to raise money for any kind of thing, let alone, you know, in foreign countries. So, um, so there's both a lot of opportunity that I saw in Mexico when I was there and, um, and also a lot of frustration, I think, um, like everywhere in the cannabis industry right now, there's, there's both hope and frustration. So, uh, Mexico is no, no, no exception, but it was fun. I got to tell my personal story and my journey through cannabis and, you know, my brother, Steve and, and his influence on me and my life and my work and, and our work together. And, and so it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And, and my only regret is I haven't learned Spanish yet. So I'm, I'm still working on that skill. Hey, we've got time. See, tenemos tiempo. Es posible. See, I learned it. You can learn it. So, you know, you just mentioned a little bit about Mexico and cannabis is on the fast track to legalization in a number of U.S. states where it's currently kind of in limbo, but also globally, right? We've got Thailand just legalized cannabis for recreational use. I've been following what's happening over there. I'm headed out there in about six weeks and South Africa has legalized cannabis use. Of course, I believe Panama just uh, legalized cannabis medically, right? So there's a number of countries that are starting with uh, medical legalization and then a number of countries that are just going into full-on recreational legality. I believe Malta is another one of those territories where cannabis is legal right now. So I'm curious from all of your experience, from your conversations, from your travels, have you seen a country or a place that's done legalization of cannabis correctly? Or do you think there's just tremendous room for improvement in every single market that you've seen and where are those areas for improvement that we can we can focus on that's a great question dennis that all of us should be asking ourselves every day all day no is the answer i i have not seen a framework that's really good yet um i define good as a very inclusive framework that allows legacy folks that have been working with the plant a long time to be included in the framework and the businesses and licenses and 
also allows space and room for the more corporate expressions uh, that may need to happen in, in markets to uh, scale uh, products so that we can, you know, get cannabis into the medicine cabinets and, and clothing and other things uh, of everybody on earth. So that's going to require a lot of scale. That's going to require things that requires corporate modeling <laughs> to, to do. So that's my vision. That's what I think a lot of our vision, right, is to have a framework that allows for that so that we have one big market instead of a legacy market and a legal licensed market. And then, so this dual market problem is, is a persistent thorn in the framework sides, all the framework sides. And we're seeing the same mistakes happening in Europe and, um, you know, with this GMP certification that's required to get um, products, legal products on the shelf in Europe. Uh, very difficult for an organic plant to <laughs> get through GMP uh, certification processes without, you know, blasting it with radiation and destroying the plant in the first place um, of why you got the plant there in the first place. Um, so it, 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 what, so I haven't seen really good frameworks yet. I'm, I am hopeful that I'll get to participate as I have a little bit in Sweden and Mexico and other places talking to people like former President Fox and senators and government people that actually vote on these things in the halls of power. I hope to educate them and I, I know you hope to educate them and all of us should try our best to educate them because they're the ones that are screwing up the frameworks um, and and it's not entirely their fault because they don't know what to do, but it is their fault when they don't listen to people who do know what to do. <laughs> and this is the issue that we had, right? Because the default mode network of elected officials just about anywhere is to turn to the corporate people to figure out every problem in the world. <laughs> Well, the corporate people don't know about cannabis and they don't really, they, their track record the last several years has not been good. So, um, so we, the frameworks need a lot of work. And um, so hopefully we can all just humbly uh, collaborate together in a good way, share our knowledge, understand no one has all the answers. I don't have all the answers, um, but, and, and that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to have to, and those mistakes might hurt people and, and we're going to have to help people we hurt and correct the mistakes. So um, these are things that are really hard for people in power to just be humble and admit that it's hard and that you're going to make mistakes and that it hurts people and that you have to help people you hurt. And, uh, you know, and because we're talking about legalizing something that's been prohibited for a hundred years or more in some places. And, and it's just, it's a very hard thing to figure out. We don't have the muscle memory of legalization at all. And, and, and when weed was legal before, it was in a much different expression than, than the expressions we find today after prohibition. <laughs> so, um, and, and, and those expressions are, you know, hugely more in variety and, and, and different types of cannabinoids and potencies and, you know, formations and formulations and mediums and, uh, 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 you know, it's a, it, and we're still just on the dawn, at the dawn of all these products that are going to come online because this plant is just so versatile and there's 
so much you can do with it. And uh, even when you try to put it down, you can't put it down, as we've seen with the Delta 8 and the Delta 9 and some of these other things that um, people have innovated sort of around the regulations and around the rules uh, to get people weed, to get people cannabinoids in their bodies. That's what people want. And so, um, so hopefully other places that haven't legalized yet and are developing frameworks like Mexico will learn um, and be open to taking some risks that will uh, mean that you're going to have to listen and empower some people you're not used to listening to and empowering. <laughs> you know, speaking of the different cannabinoids that people want in their bodies, I recently, relatively recently, discovered CBN. I've been a stoner for years. I'd never heard of CBN. I absolutely love the stuff. I adore it. So anybody, you know, who's interested in checking out maybe a product that's not super, super familiar to a lot of people, I'd recommend checking out CBN. And then, you know, I've been following your work for a while and you get to go to a lot of these really interesting events where you are one of relatively few people who has a lot of knowledge with cannabis and a career in cannabis who is able to have face-to-face -face conversations with, with some of these key decision makers and people in the halls of power, as you framed it. And one of the events that I saw you at, at I saw you at was a United Nations event in New York City. And forgive me, I don't remember the exact conference or whatever, but I'm curious, what is your role at events like that? And do you have the opportunity, you know, to one-on-one -on -one have these kinds of conversations like we're having now with policymakers and regulators and key stakeholders, both on the corporate side, but also on the political side? Um, well, it's a, it's a, the, the conference you're referring to in New York in the United Nations was the Regenibus uh, UN conference. It's happening again this year on May 11th. Uh, and Regenibus, for those of your listeners who may not know about Regenibus, it's a, it's a, it's an organization in the cannabis space that is dedicated to ESG, which is environment and social government. Governance basically is what it stands for, and it, it, it's a, it, it's it's companies. It's helping companies become more sustainable and fair and equal in the way they hire and the way they operate their businesses. And the uh, the theory is that companies that adhere to ESG principles and standards uh, are more profitable and make more money for their shareholders. So. That's what Regenibus is all about. And so they, they gather all the thought leaders, a bunch of politicians from other countries come. Um, we had Kim Rivers, the CEO of Trulieve, so some pretty big uh, corporate cannabis leaders come and speak last year. I expect they'll come and speak again this year. And then you'll have some more grassroots folks like um, um, all kinds of different grassroots folks will be there too, um, uh, whether it be me or uh, uh, other folks uh, like me uh, and Last Prisoner Project or the Weldon Project or um, uh, different hemp farmers, regenerative farmers like my buddy Doug Fine. Hopefully he's going to be presenting this year. I don't know. But um, and the idea is that, you know, we share knowledge and 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 hopefully knowledge is power right so and that we we take that knowledge out for the next year and try to uh embed esg standards and principles in our businesses a little bit more than we had the previous year 
um, or in government policy a little bit more than we had the previous year. Um, and so that's the idea. Last year was the first one. Um, it was really great, except a whole bunch of people, including me, got COVID <laughs> from from the event. Um, uh, but that's you know that's just the error that we were in last year. I, I think this year will be a lot better on that front, um, and it'll also be a little bit different time of the year. It's a little warmer, and it's a beautiful time in New York. You know, um, um, May, around early May there, mid May. And it's a really lovely time to, to spend a few days in New York. So, um, and I, I, I think you can buy tickets to the event and, and, and there's ways to get into it. Um, if you're a company or so check out regenibus.com and, and you can learn about it. And, um, yeah, so I don't talk to the people in power as much as I'd like to, <laughs> I do have the opportunity to do that more than a whole bunch of others, uh, other of us in this together. So I'm, I'm, I'm lucky in that regard, but, but still not nearly as much as I would like to affect the kind of change. I, we're all really frustrated right now. Um, you know, politics is often incremental in, 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 but we're a lot farther than we were. When I was coming up in the 1980s, you know, and um, and people say, well, it's such a hard time right now, and it is, but it, it it's it's a lot better than finding yourself in a jail cell because you're working with this plant. And to be clear, there's still plenty of people in jail cells working with this plant that we have to get out. But but the danger of going into a jail cell nowadays, working in the industry in the legal states anyway, is greatly reduced uh, because of legalization. So we're talking about sort of the more elite kind of the politicians, the corporate side that you have the interactions with. But I've also seen that you've traveled quite a bit with your brother to places like Morocco, which I think, you know, I've been to Morocco several times, huge fan, never been out to the hash growing regions, but I'd love to go also to Oaxaca. I saw you were there and I like to spend time in Oaxaca, one of my favorite places. First of all, is are, are those segments that you were filming available online somewhere or maybe you're sitting on them for a documentary release and second of all you know what brought you out to the, the atlas mountains you know the mountains in morocco or out to remote areas of oaxaca to learn about cannabis what's that project all about well thank you for asking my my i i was unable to accompany my brother to morocco um i was with him in oaxaca you know my brother and i if we had unlimited resources, we'd probably do nothing but travel around, tell stories, film things like the hash fields of Morocco that my brother filmed, film some of the uh, backcountry, authentic, legacy cannabis and other visionary plant segments we were able to film in Oaxaca. And not just film, but talk to the people, talk to the leaders, do the political work, do the but do the cultural work too, right? Because it's not just about laws and politics. We have to tell our stories. We have to bond with each other. We have to learn about what each other's doing and teach each other different things. And um, when I got to hang out with some of the elders in Oaxaca who've been working with mushrooms or cannabis for longer than I've been around um, for many generations, in a, in a way in, in deeper ways than I'll ever be able to really grok, you know, being a non-indigenous person that grew up in a Western 
suburban sort of reality. Um, but it, to be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with folks like that, tell their stories, learn about them, be break bread with them, hear them sing their songs and all, all, all of the different nuances of, of being in time and space with such amazing <laughs> human beings. It's really a moving, touching experience for me. So, um, so we had the opportunity to do that. My brother and I get invited to go places and that's how we're able to go places. People invite us to go and, and help pay, pay our expenses and, and, and we're able to go places and, and, and do that kind of work. And um, it's, there's nothing we love to do uh, more. So uh, hope to be back in Scandinavia later this year. Always want to be in Mexico, love Mexico and what's going on in Latin America. It's exciting. Colombia, I think, is going to come online also in the next year or two. And I think the dominoes are just going to fall in Latin America pretty quick. Um, we've got friends in Chile that lots of things are happening there. And, and, and there's probably all kinds of things happening I don't even know about, man. I mean, um, there's so much going on in the wild world of cannabis every single day. is uh, you, you could spend nothing but all day learning about all the new things happening. You still wouldn't know about it all. Um, and it sounds like you do quite a bit of traveling and, and, and plugging in yourself, maybe as much as, if not more than I do. And I think that's terrific. I, I, the, I think the more that we can share stories with each other and knowledge with each other, and the tribe is starting to really connect globally now, it feels to me. And there's a lot of power in that if we can figure out how to harness it more and more, you know, every, every day, month, year, week <laughs> that we, that we plug into each other. Sure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, one of my favorite things when traveling is to find the kindred spirits and the people who appreciate cannabis. I was out in Jordan earlier this year uh, in a four by four vehicle out in Wadi Rum at this little Bedouin camp. And somebody just had that look in their eye. They called me over, asked if I wanted to smoke hash with them. And I just, things like that, you know, you barely know this person, but you know, they're from a very different culture, but you get high with them and all of a sudden you're good buds, you're on the same page, you know, you're, you kind of have this secret you share. And that's something that I've always loved when traveling is finding those communities and those people we put aside our cultural differences. And it's about, you know, enjoying the moment, enjoying the ambiance and the nuance, as you put it, of what's going on. So it's, there is magic, man. Yeah, it's magic. It's magic. It really is. Yeah. And, you know, there is just so much going on, like even same with mushrooms and with psychedelics. There's just so much happening right now at lightning speed. And one of the questions I always like to ask experienced people and people who have a career in their given discipline is if you were to advise someone, let's say who's in college or that age, you know, 18, 19, and they want to get into the cannabis space. I know this is something you've spoken about and you've written about. What are some reasonable and accessible points of entry for young people? Or let's just say for anybody who wants to get into it. But also, let's say if you're 18 or 19 and you're considering a career path, where do you get started? Oh, great question. And it's a one of the great things about this moment in time is you can pretty much enter the industry in any place. So let's say you don't can't afford to go to college and you can't get a business degree or an accounting degree or a management degree, which are all things that the cannabis industry needs and hires for all the time. Um, but you, you could go to a trade school and you can learn how to run equipment that is used in extracting. 
You could learn how to run a warehouse that's used in distribution. Um, you could learn how to um, grow, work in a farm, work in agriculture. The, these are all non-college degree entry points. And there are trade groups that you can go study with that are not that expensive. You know, um, Google's your friend, but, you know, Greenflower Media is one that comes to mind. You, you probably have a lot of other media groups, Dennis, that in your ecosystem where people can learn. And, 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 and then once you have some skills, you know, you got to find the jobs, right? And, and um, follow your passion, follow what you love to do. If you're going to college and you're studying business, then, you know, that's going to prime you for being a director or maybe, you know, in the C-suite someday or maybe starting your own business uh, in the space or maybe partnering with others so you could start your own uh, business in, in the space. Or, um, you know, if, you, if you're lucky enough to go to a really great Ivy League school or something like that, you might be able to, you know, get a pretty high-level job right out of right out of school if you have your MBA. So um, there's a lot of entry points right now that, that, that really your, your imagination is the only thing that limits, you know, if you're into marketing and, and PR, lots of opportunity in marketing and PR, you know, in the cannabis industry. Um, if you're into retail, um, lots of opportunity in retail. If you're into education, uh, lots of opportunity in education. The best way to prepare in all of these things, all of these entry points, learn about the plant, learn about the history, learn about what, why people are so into cannabis as a medicine or as a relaxant or as a industrial raw material or why. Why is this plant so valuable? And once you figure that out, um, then you can figure out how to add value to that intrinsic value that's already there. Right. Um, and oh, wow, I'm really good at talking and I got the gift for gab and I know how to connect with people. Well, sales, <laughs> I mean, sales and cannabis, if you can sell weed really good, if you're really prolific, I don't care if you're a bud tender, distributor, buyer, seller. Um, if you're good at that, you'll make good money. I mean, those folks command some of the highest salaries when you factor in commissions. Of anybody, you know, when we had Harborside and it was a big vertically integrated company and I was chief revenue officer, our seller, the person who sold all that weed that I had, that I was in charge of, pay, and some sometimes made more money than I did, even though they reported to me because they got really good commissions. And, and, and when they did well, I looked good, right? And I did well. So, you know, that's kind of how it works. Um, um, so there's a million entry points and it's a, it's a super exciting time to be coming up right now. And, and, and it doesn't really matter, you know, what, what economic status you, you have right now. You can, you can do very well in the industry over the long haul, you know, uh, as a career. Right on. So before there was an industry or a legal above ground industry, I know that yourself and many other people probably also listen to the podcast. Now we're involved in an underground industry. And I read a very engaging and captivating article that you wrote for Playboy, 
I believe, which is also funny. My wife doesn't care about the shit, but I was just like, hey, if you see Playboy on my computer, it's because I'm reading cannabis articles, you know, which is, you know, just kind of funny little joke for us. But you were in Arizona waiting on a shipment of weed and a little one horse town. I'm sure you know the story I'm talking about. And you were there for like six weeks or some egregious amount of time. Was that par for the course for you? Is those kinds of transactions or was that a particularly unique story and during that time? Um, waiting was a big part of the underground transactional experience with cannabis um, because it, it was all about did you have good supply? And then once you secured good supply, it was do I have good customers to buy it all? So those are the two things you're always you're always managing towards and for was supply and demand, <laughs> like any good entrepreneur, right? And so, um, so it was um, um, oftentimes you had to wait for the supply to show up, especially if you were a smuggler or a trapper like we were and you were smuggling or trapping weed that was coming into the country or being grown in California or something. And then you would ship it one way or the other back to East Coast markets. That's what we did. And that's... That's that 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 was our what I did for many years was was that. And so that story, it was a drought. There was a drought happening. At, it was summertime. It was the off season. Um, and it just took a long time for the weed to get across the border. And I had to wait. Um, and like you said, in a small little dusty border town not far from Tucson. Um, and um, wait and wait and wait and wait and i had a bunch of cash for a down payment for this load of weed we were i was waiting on and 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 uh every day it was tomorrow 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 or manana 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 um uh and um and that was a very popular refrain um if you were in the smuggling and trapping business um uh you heard that word a lot <laughs> um and um and so yeah I was, I think I, the, the story was kind of a relation. I was relating to the pandemic because the pan, it was good training for things like pandemics because I was stuck and I, you, I couldn't draw attention to myself. I couldn't, I had to just kind of hide in this hotel room. I didn't want to get ripped off. I didn't want to get robbed. I didn't want, I had cash with me. I was a strange person in a, in a town and, you know, it was, I was trying my best to act like a, just a traveling salesman in a legitimate business, but um, with the way I looked and what kind of car I drove and all that sort of thing. But, you know, and I moved around from, I didn't stay in the same hotel for six weeks. I think I stayed in one or two, there was like two hotels and I would go to, but, um, but that was the kind of thing that you had to do. You know, you couldn't just go on LeafLink. <laughs> like you can today, <laughs> and then, you know, it's there on Thursday, <laughs> um, uh, you, you know, uh, uh, so, um, and, you know, the, the, the tragedy of it was that, that a lot of my energy that I could have been using to develop myself as a leader and a manager and an entrepreneur, I had to waste on hiding from the world and waiting for things to show up or, and, you know, covering up my tracks or 
all these things you had to do. Um, just the amount of time I spent on pay phones, if you added that up, it probably is a year or two of life, you know? <laughs> um, so, uh, you know, that's the tragedy of it. The, the year I spent on a pay phone, I could have been in school. I could have been studying things. I could have been learning things. I could have been building things. Um, so, you know, that's kind of the tragedy of how I came up, the time I came up, and, 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 and what prohibition does to, to people. Sure. Yeah. Things have changed so much, right? I used to go buy my weed from a guy named Llama, you know, behind the gas station. That's kind of how I grew up. It was pretty normalized in Southern California and San Diego, but it still wasn't legal. Like I still have these lingering sort of anxieties from all the time I had to, you know, sneak out back and go behind the shed and smoke. And then you got to take a shower to get the smell off. Like this idea of of cannabis being integrated into suburban life now. And like where I grew up, there's two dispensaries that have moved into the neighborhood. That's something that never in my wildest dreams, 10 or 15 years ago, did I think was gonna happen. And you know, I lived in San Francisco right when it decriminalized, I guess that was like 2007 or whatever years those were. And San Francisco was kind of like a safe space, it felt like, like people were very cannabis friendly. You could smoke on Hippie Hill. I used to spend a lot of time in Golden Gate Park, right? And for me, that was like my Mecca, like, oh, you can smoke like pretty legally. I don't think it's legal, but like you can smoke and no cops going to bother you. And that was like a kid in a candy store when that stuff, when that started happening. So, you know, one of the other things that I really like from what I've seen that you're putting out there into the world is your now that I own a record player series, which is essentially for anyone who's not familiar, he's got this really long, cool pipe packs his pipe and smokes, which I'm not sure how you get away with that on Instagram, but kudos to you, and, and plays a record, which is dope. And you've got all kinds of records in your collection. So what are you listening to right now? You know, when, when we're off this conversation and you go pack your bowl or whatever, what are you listening to today? Uh, well, I just, you know, vinyl is something that you get kind of strung out on and um you can spend a lot of money buying records <laughs> so um i had because i started this it was just a fun little thing i did you know these little videos it was just a fun way to show a different side of myself that wasn't so serious and um and um and i just enjoyed these this we got this record player because our parents, my, 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 my life partner and I, our parents passed away. And so you, oftentimes, in, in our case, we inherited some records. Um, and we didn't have a record player. Uh, so um, it took a year or two for us to sort of get over the grief of losing your parents. And then you realize, oh, wow, we should listen to these records. Um, and so we got the record player. We started listening to these records. And... All these magical emotions happened, right? And and you start to think about your loved ones and how these records came to be, and 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 the journey that this little piece of vinyl has taken in the world uh, for decades, you know. And um, and I started grooving on the music, and 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 then I shared it on Instagram. And I I don't know how I get away with it. I think it's because I don't say weed or cannabis or. So they don't really know what's in the pipe. It could be tobacco, I guess. Um, they haven't shut me down yet, but um, uh, uh, I have gotten shut down on TikTok. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's a badge of honor, I guess. Um, uh, but um, uh, 
But um, yeah, and so um, now I'm listening to a lot of jazz because a lot of the people that follow or dig the program have sent me instant messages saying, hey, get some Miles Davis kind of blue or get some uh, uh, Stan Getz, you know, or, or, and so I went out and I got some, you know, and I got some Charlie Parker and some Stan Getz and some Miles Davis. And, um, and then I got some cool New Orleans, New Orleans style jazz um, records uh, that are like compilation albums, you know, where different musicians play. Um, and uh, they're all kinds of famous trombone shorty and all these famous, you know, Neville, the Neville family and all kinds of different New Orleans musicians are on these albums. And then I also picked up a cool little album from the 80s that I hadn't seen on vinyl before. It's a group called the Dukes of Stratosphere, and um, they were a psychedelic offshoot band of the pop band XTC. Um, and they had a, a, I think it's um, an album, uh, one or two albums they had, and um, that w their first album was available at this little record store I go to, and I, so I picked that up, The Dukes of Stratosphere, um, which is some kind of cool new wave psychedelic music. <laughs> um, and so that's, that's what I'm listening to right now. Good stuff. Love me some jazz, man. Sometimes I just, you go, Siri, play some soft jazz. And, you know, I've got plenty of the artists that you mentioned. I have vinyl from them as well. I'm a vinyl collector. So I'm a big world music fan. When I travel, which I am very fortunate to do, able to frequently travel, I always look for a record shop, be it in Paris or in, in New Delhi or wherever it is. So that's, for me, what gets me really geeked. And my kind of like crown jewels of my collection are trying to find things that aren't digitized. You know, like I was in San Sebastian, Spain, and I found a record store and there's a bunch of field recordings of different Basque musicians and, you know, go and Google it online. I can't find any trace of this online. This is dope. So, I, you know, the, for me, the only thing I don't like about vinyl is having to flip it, especially if you're just like chilling and reading a book or something. I'm like, oh, I got to get up and flip it. But it comes with the territory. You know, I like having it for the same reason some people would have a wine collection like you have it there it's kind of a conversation piece you get to hold it in your hand you get to you know be knowledgeable about the different artists and the different eras and all that and I find with digital music consumption while it is very convenient you lose some of that and it just becomes kind of like this uh, you know it's a digital playlist you know it's a which is all well and good you know there's different strokes for different folks but I something about the like tangible visceral holding a vinyl record and especially you know an old piece of history that's something that's really really enlivening to me and I love it so we kind of hit the sweet spot here Andrew but one thing I always like to ask my guests and I want to extend to you as I'd love to hear about what are you working on currently that you can share with us and what can we look forward to over the next six months to a year or so coming out of your camp uh, well, thanks for asking. Uh, you know, Last Prisoner Project is a nonprofit organization that I co-founded. We try to get cannabis prisoners out of prison. As we talked about a minute ago, there's still lots of people locked up for cannabis, people getting locked up all the time at the federal level, state level, people who smoke a joint on probation and fail a drug test, boom, you're back in prison for six months. So we're trying to get people out. So that's an ongoing project. I hope the goal for Last Prisoner Project is that we get everybody out of prison everywhere on earth and then we can stop and <laughs> we can shut the doors and not be a nonprofit organization anymore. Very few nonprofits will 
stand up and say, our goal is to not exist anymore. Um, most nonprofits, I call it the nonprofit industrial complex, but a lot of nonprofits exist merely to keep existing. Um, and sometimes they fulfill their mission, but a lot of times the, the mission they fulfill is to keep existing and keep everyone on payroll that's on payroll and uh, all that going. And that's not what we're trying to do. We want to end. <laughs> we want our, because it's, um, I, it's really hard work and um, it's not fun. And we rely on the donations from our industry partners, all kinds of amazing companies that participate in our Roll It Up for Freedom or uh, 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 Change. We also have uh, partners for change. Um, if you're a manufacturer, um, Roll It Up for Freedom is if you're a retailer. Um, um, it allows people to put their change into a bucket. You can also do it digitally and that we get, that's how we get most of our donations. And, you know, it's a big burden on people to donate, uh, to get people out of prison who shouldn't be there in the first place. So, so that's an ongoing project. Um, the way I make a living, <laughs> cause that's, I'm a volunteer for LPP, uh, and always have been, always will be, um, is I'm a strategic advisor and consultant for the global cannabis industry and hemp and um, I guess you'd call it um, psychoactive cannabis <laughs> models, both of those. I And I have an association or a co-op of, of other consultants and, and partners and some of them are architects and some of them are real estate people and some of them are operational people and you know, we've got SOPs and training manuals and all that stuff for just about every state. And uh, so we we go in and we build businesses when people get licenses and, and um, help them build the business and open. And then, you know, they can run the business themselves or if they need help running it, we can help them with that, too. But most entrepreneurs, they need most help just getting the license and getting the doors open. Um, and then and then they want to learn how to run it themselves. And the best way to learn how to run something is to run it. <laughs> so um, that's what we teach entrepreneurs to do um, in, in cannabis. That's 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 uh, another ongoing thing that I'm doing. And I'm excited. I'm opening three dispensaries in Ohio this in the next month or two called Backroad Wellness. Uh, it's a medical program in Ohio, but we've helped those clients. Uh, build those uh, projects, and uh, and I got a hemp nu nutrition project in Mexico. I'm working on that. Um, uh, like most hemp projects, uh, particularly in Mexico, is, is is looking for financing right now. But but um, but the vision is to grow hemp for nutrition and hemp seed for uh, hemp protein powder and hemp uh, seed and and hemp shells and hemp that you eat um, and because it's a great source of protein that you can export and consume domestically I, is what our vision is, is that it gets consumed domestically in Mexico. So um, that's an industrial hemp project that I hope is coming online. And, um, you know, uh, and then people can always check out my creative work and my speaking work on, on my you know, my website, andrewdangelo.com, my IG, Twitter, LinkedIn, 
all that. Uh, it's either Andrew D'Angelo or Andrew under slash D'Angelo. And, you know, feel free to reach out at, at anybody and everybody because I, I love to talk to people all over the world about this stuff. Awesome. You and me both. Thanks again, Andrew D'Angelo, for coming on the podcast. Okay, Dennis, thank you. And that is a wrap. Thank you for sticking around to the bitter end. It's very sweet of you to commit so thoroughly. Don't be a stranger. Let me know what you thought of this episode. And please consider checking out the substantial backlog while you're at it. You can reach out to me via email, mycopreneur at gmail.com. Or hit me on any of the numerous social platforms that I'm currently active on. At Mycopreneur Podcast is the handle on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you all very much for sticking around. Have a wonderful day. I'll see you back here next week on the Mycopreneur Podcast.